We've been uh, digesting kind of in tiny, tiny bite-sized pieces this Sermon on the Mount, probably the most complete sermon of Jesus that we have recorded in Scripture, listening to the words that he spoke. And we've heard him over the past many, many weeks now discussing the various things that uh, make up this life in God's kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus was always talking about the kingdom of God. That was kind of his, that was his big deal. That was what he was always talking about. And the Sermon on the Mount stands as his, his treatise, his explanation. What, what is the kingdom of God? After all, you're always talking about it, Jesus. What do you mean by the kingdom of God? And he gives us the Sermon on the Mount. We've been making our way slowly through it. He's been highlighting not just the things that we do when we live according to the kingdom, but really more specifically, I hope you've picked up on this, more specifically the condition of our hearts as we do the things that we do. Speaking of the condition of our hearts, in the passage that we're about to hear today, Jesus turns his attention to one very, very practical aspect of life that directly impacts the condition of our hearts. And he's going to make this clear. So we're going to begin this morning by plagiarizing Jesus. These are the words he spoke from Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. After the stock market crash in 1929, millions of Americans were understandably nervous about the condition of their life savings. Uh, Many people rushed to their local banks to withdraw the money that they had deposited in the banks through the years so that they could keep it uh, in cash, or many more wanted to convert it into gold because they believed that that would hold up better against this very quickly developing world economic crisis. The problem is that banks, as you know, don't just keep the money that you put in them in a room in the back, right? And so they weren't able to, to meet all the demands for withdrawals. Banks were unable to keep up with this sudden demand for cash. And in the course of the early 1930s, many thousands of banks simply failed and people lost all the money that they had diligently saved in their bank through the years. And so in 1933, President Roosevelt signed into law the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, as we call it. The FDIC is an independent government organization that insures the deposits that Americans make into their banks. The FDIC says if you put the money into the bank, we're going to guarantee that it'll be there when you come to withdraw it. And today, even today, many of our banks have right on on their front doors or on their letterhead, FDIC. It stands as a guarantee that the money that we put into the bank will be available to us when we're ready to withdraw it. 
But the fear of losing out on all that you've saved, on all that you've put aside, that fear didn't originate in 20th century America. It's a tale as old as time, right? And don't sing the Disney song. It's a tale as old as time. The people in Jesus's day would have known that fear well. Now, they didn't have banks like we have banks, of course, and they didn't even really have a universally accepted system of currency. The Jews had their own coins. Neighboring nations and tribes had their own coins. The Roman government, of course, had their own coins. And one of the things that could happen to you is you could get caught holding the wrong kind of coins when the government changed. And and the coins you had would suddenly be without value. If you didn't want to get caught holding the wrong kind of currency, maybe you transferred your wealth into an item that you thought would hold its value over the course of years. Precious metals, precious gems, fine fabrics, as is the case in one of the women that Jesus met during his time of of ministry, a very expensive perfume. Anything that you thought might hold its value well as the course of economics and politics changed. Keeping items like that safe was your life savings. And it could be the difference between a life of relative comfort in your old age versus a life of starvation on the streets. Of course, keeping those kinds of things safe in those days was a lot easier said than done because there was no FDIC, right? There were no deposit boxes to lock those things in. There were no fire safes. There were no climate controlled storage facilities to keep them fresh. There was no electronically timed security systems to ensure their safety. You could store up your treasure, but you really had no guarantee that it would still be there when you needed it. Jesus understood that anxiety, and that's why he said what he said. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. You heard it a moment ago. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, if you've ever heard a preacher preach this verse before, read this verse before, chances are that it was in a sermon about giving. We always say, store up your treasures in heaven. This is a metaphorical way of talking about tithing to your church and and to donating money to religious causes. You might have heard this saying before, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Isn't that a good preacher saying, right? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Now, I certainly uphold the importance of being kingdom-minded with our money. We should be tithing. We should be giving to important causes that are uh, kingdom-oriented and have eternal impact. But you know what? I don't think that that's the only thing that Jesus had in mind when he said these words. After all, the kingdom of heaven doesn't rely on man-made currency the way that the kingdoms of this world do. We'll circle back to this a little bit later, but for now, let's just keep our minds open to the possibility that heavenly treasures include much more than just American dollars. Be that as it may, Jesus is at the very least using money as, as one example here. And his point is this, The kingdom offers a great retirement plan. Amen? The kingdom offers a great retirement plan. How many would say, I have a great retirement plan? 
right? <laughs> okay, a few of us in the room feel like we've got a great retirement plan. And my guess is that's about right, because it seems to me that most Americans aren't quite so sure that they have a great retirement plan. But the kingdom offers a great retirement plan. Just two years after the establishment of the FDIC, now we're in 1935, President Roosevelt now creates the Social Security Administration. SSA taxes American workers. Everybody rejoice, right? Yay, taxes. Now the SSA taxes American workers and uses that money to pay retirement benefits to people who no longer have employment income of their own. And virtually all of us still pay taxes to social security system. And we have the expectation that when we retire, we'll be able to access those benefits. That's social security. 30 years after social security, some of you are already like, I know we're gonna have a history lesson today. One part history, one part economics. 30 years after the establishment of the SSA, President Lyndon Johnson, 1965, establishes Medicare, which likewise taxes American workers and uses those tax dollars to provide medical benefits to retired Americans. Social Security, Medicare. These are kind of the two pillars of the American retirement plan, at least as the US government would have it. But significant questions exist, don't they, about both of them. Significant questions exist as to whether or not they're going to survive inflation rates and the currently aging population. You baby boomers are ruining everything for us. Amen. <laughs> and the question is there, when I retire, is there still going to be enough treasure stored up in federal storehouses to take care of me? The kingdom of God offers treasure that cannot and will not fade away. It cannot and it will not run out. Jesus wants everybody to know that when we live as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we can be confident that the security of our future is assured. In the kingdom, that question, who has a really good retirement plan? ought to yield a unanimous response. We can be assured that the security of our future is there. Of course, those of you, and don't feel the need to raise your hands here, but those of you who have reached the point in life where, where you receive social security benefits, where you receive Medicare benefits, you would know that those benefits don't magically show up on your porch in an envelope one day. There's a whole lot of paperwork to fill out, isn't there, right? There's applications to submit. There's preparations to be made. There's choices to consider. Am I going to take this benefit or am I going to take that benefit? Am I going to be on this plan or am I going to take this plan? Am I going to start drawing when I'm 62 or when I'm 65 or when I'm 67? How am I going to do it? There's all kinds of things that have to happen. There's a process involved. There's a process involved in collecting your benefits. And it's no different in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus describes it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. <coughs> Excuse me. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
Now I have to submit to you, when I first read this verse, it kind of confused me. I didn't understand what was going on here. It's not immediately apparent as to how an eye being a lamp in a body, how does all of that relate to storing up treasures in heaven? Maybe Jesus is changing subject here. Maybe I should have just stopped reading and saved this verse for next week's sermon. But then in the very next verse, he comes back and starts talking about money again. So either Jesus has a significant case of ADD, or this has something to do with the topic at hand. I did some research and here's what I learned. In Jesus's day, it was commonly believed that eyes function a little bit like modern day flashlights. Eyes don't just receive the light that's out there. Eyes emit beams that actually make eyesight possible. And that's what he means when he says your eyes are like lamps. They illuminate in Jesus's world. It was believed that eyes illuminate the world around us and they bring light into our entire being. So in that worldview, healthy vision wasn't just one aspect of a healthy body, the way healthy hearing would be, or you know, a good set of, of, of muscles would be, or strong legs, or something like that. Healthy eyesight was unique and specific. Healthy vision was believed to actually support the physical and the spiritual well-being of the whole person. Physical and spiritual of well-being of the whole person could be determined by healthy vision. So if a person didn't have good eyes, it could be because there was something wrong with their soul. Doesn't that sound interesting? Everybody with glasses is very quickly taking them off. And if somebody didn't have good eyesight, it, it could be because something was wrong with their soul. And, and that's where we get these, these expressions, the evil eye, the stink eye, man, he gave me the stink eye. Oh, Mimi Everett, I don't see Mimi here. And that's good because I plan to pick on her. If you know Mimi, you know that, that her favorite expression isn't the evil eye or the stink eye. Anybody know where I'm going? It's the squid eye. I heard it, yeah, Juan's <laughs> like, he knows. Yeah, Mimi, Mimi, oh man, that guy was giving me the squid eye. Mimi, what is a squid eye? I'd never heard that until I, I met Mimi, but uh, yeah, we went through Haiti with Mimi a couple years ago and she was just sure that every Haitian down there was giving us the squid eye. <laughs> I like calamari, that's about my only opinion on the matter there. Right? But the eyes kind of reveal the condition of the soul. So Jesus is making this connection between healthy eyesight and the spiritual health that comes with the kingdom's retirement plan. Now, is, is he saying that if you have cataracts, you can't go to heaven? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, no, that, that's, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you need good eyesight to get into heaven. There's actually an interesting little, this is one of those situations where we don't really have the word in English to describe what was really going on in the Greek here. And I, you know, I hate to do these things, but I just got to do it. When, when Jesus says healthy eyes, in the verse we said, if your eyes are healthy, when he's describing healthy eyes, the word he uses isn't exactly healthy. Ironically, it's actually the old King James Bible that, that kind of gets to the point best. The King James translation says, if your eye is single, right? Like if your eye is on Tinder, because it's looking for somebody to date. No, 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 if your eye is single. Have you ever seen the eyeballs on a housefly? 
You know, hopefully not up close and in person, but you know how houseflies have eyeballs that are made up of little mosaics? They're made up of little eyelids, and we believe they actually see not a single image, but in a mosaic fashion. A lot of insects are like that. We call it compound vision. They see a lot of different things. There's that connotation there in health, in the word that Jesus uses, of not being divided and being a bunch of different things and a bunch of things. No, but being singular, but being pure, but being of, of one aspect. And so when he says, if your eyes are healthy, the old King James Version says, if your eye is single, it doesn't mean if you're a cyclops. What he's saying is, if your vision is focused, You're not seeing a blur. You're not seeing a bunch of different images. But if your vision is singularly focused, that's where he's saying the health is. Are you with me on that? So we need to amend the statement I've been working on here. The kingdom offers a great retirement plan, but it requires singular focus. It requires healthy eyes. Singular focus, right? The kingdom offers a great retirement plan, but it requires singular focus. So the challenge here is this, is your focus on the treasure of God's kingdom or is your focus on the treasures of this world? That's what Jesus is getting to here. Is your focus on the treasures of God's kingdom or is your focus on the treasures of this world? Because it must be one or the other. It can't be both. And that's why Jesus said, for where your treasure is, then your heart will be, there your heart will be also. Your heart, your mind, your energy are always focused on the things that you treasure most. Your heart, your mind, and your energy are always going to be focused on the things that you treasure most. That is a basic principle of human nature. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't decide to treasure one thing, but focus your attention on something else. Whatever it is that you treasure, that's what you're going to be looking at. That's what you're going to be orienting your life toward. That's what you're going to be paying attention to at all times and in all circumstances. Parenthetically, isn't this the problem with addiction? We start to treasure something, whether it's a a habit or a behavior or a substance, and it becomes our treasure, and it's why addicts do what addicts do. They literally can't not do it. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thing that you treasure, you will focus your whole life toward whether you want to or not. Whether you want to or not. Jesus knows this, and he's simply saying that we need to make sure that the things that we treasure most are in the kingdom of heaven. Make sure that the things that you treasure the most are located in the kingdom of heaven. Because that's where you're going to end up putting all of your focus. You can't have a divided focus. You have to have healthy eyes if you want to enroll in the aforementioned great retirement plan. 
There's a very practical reason for that, which Jesus identifies in his final thought on the matter. It's in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we started out talking about treasure in the most general sense, but Jesus wants to make sure that we don't miss out on maybe what is the most obvious application here, and that's money. Jesus is going to make it rain, right? We don't want to miss out on the application of money. Have you heard the cliche, money makes a great servant, but a cruel master? Money makes a great servant, but a cruel master. And that's what he's saying. You cannot serve both. You can't serve God and serve money. I think Jesus would agree with that statement. Read through the Gospels and you will discover that Jesus had a very complicated relationship with money. Most significantly, he never seemed to have any. (laughs) He never seemed to have any. He let the one guy in his cadre of followers who had significant integrity problems, Judas. He let Judas take care of the money. (laughs) Jesus, when it was time to pay taxes, and they were all like, um, we don't have the temple tax. Jesus was like, don't look at me. I don't have any money. Try to find it in a fish's mouth. I don't have any. I don't have any. Whenever it was time to buy something or spend something, when we needed a colt to ride into Jerusalem, Jesus is like, Lord knows we ain't going to be able to rent one. We don't have any money. Go, go find somebody and find it tied up and just say we need to borrow it for a while. Jesus never seemed to have any money with him when you and I would say we need money for this. Interestingly, he tended to spend most of his time with people who were just as broke as he was. It seems that accumulating wealth just wasn't important to Jesus, but it sure is to most of us, isn't it? And that's the root of the problem here. Too many people have made money their treasure, and thereby it becomes the focus of their lives. And Jesus speaks to that very specific problem directly. If your greatest treasure has Ben Franklin's picture on it, you're going to find it impossible to serve God well. He really doesn't leave us any wiggle room there, does he? If your greatest treasure has Ben Franklin's picture on it, you're going to find it not difficult, not awkward. You're going to find it impossible to serve God well. And he uses some really, really uh, provocative language when he talks about this because it's the language of slavery. He's talking about serving masters. You can't serve two masters at the same time. When he says serving masters, he's not talking about a butler or a maid who serves their master for a few hours and then goes home after work. This is the language of slavery, which was prevalent in Jesus' day. He's saying you can't be a slave to two different masters. Slaves have no rights, and their only purpose in life is to serve their master well, and you can't do that for two different masters. Just like a human slave can't work for one master on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but switch to a different master on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and alternating weekends, we can't do that. We can't dedicate our lives to money in some circumstances but to God in other circumstances. It's one or the other. It's never both. Let's not forget that the Bible says life in the kingdom of God is a life of slavery. 
Did you come expecting to get encouraged today? Because I feel like I've missed the mark on that so far. (laughs) Life in the kingdom of God is a life of slavery. The book of Romans says we are slaves to righteousness. The book of Ephesians says we are slaves to Christ. The book of 1 Peter tells us we ought to live as God's slaves. And we can't do any of those things successfully if we're already owned by a different master. We can't do any of those things well if we're not willing to go all the way. There's no such thing as part-time slavery. No such thing. There's no such thing as part-time slavery. It's all or nothing. Now, parenthetically, I feel I need to be clear here. When the Bible calls us to a life of slavery, it's not calling us to a life of drudgery. It's not calling us to a life where God just beats the tar out of us every day. It's not calling us to any of those things. It is saying, you want to live in the kingdom, you got to be willing to give up everything. You got to be willing to take your rights and your privileges and place them at the feet of Jesus. You got to be willing to take everything you have and say, it's not mine anymore. It's not mine anymore. God, it's yours. Do with me as you will. That's the nature of slavery. The kingdom offers a great retirement plan, but it requires singular focus and singular dedication. In other words, a life that is focused and dedicated entirely to the kingdom of God is like Well, it's like an employer matching 401k account built on a high yield annuity with an aggressive guaranteed compounding interest rates and a matching tax-free Roth IRA that has no contribution limits. Do you like that? I don't know what any of that means. I'm just a pastor. But it's a great retirement plan and it stores up guaranteed treasure. A life of singular focus a life of singular dedication is a great, great retirement plan because it stores up guaranteed treasure. Which brings me back to that issue that I kind of tossed out there at the beginning and said, let's just lay it aside, but we'll circle back to it before we finish. And it was this, are we just talking about money here? Are we just talking about money? Are we even primarily talking about money? The question I think is what kind of treasures are stored up in heaven. That's what got us into this whole mess to begin with, isn't it? That's how Jesus started. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven rather than on earth. So what kind of treasures can we, (coughs) excuse me, what kind of treasures can we store up in heaven? Think on that for a moment while I have a sip of water. Perhaps the pregnant pause will make it more interesting. If we had Jeopardy theme music to play, that would have been the moment. What kind of treasure can we store up in heaven? Well, we can safely eliminate American currency, can't we? There are no dollars in heaven, nor is there need for spending money. Read through the book of Revelation, read through the other biblical references to heaven, and nowhere in there do you find a dollar general store, nowhere in there do you find any kinds of financial institutions or any kind of need for spending money. You won't have an allowance. You won't need an allowance. Apparently, the food court, everything is free as best I can get it. You don't have to swipe your card. There's no need for currency. As important as it is for us in this life 
to invest our money on things that have eternal significance. And that is very, very important, and it's a whole different sermon. It's very, very important, but I don't think that that's exactly what Jesus means when he tells people to store up treasure in heaven. Because as much as we preachers like to say, you can't take it with you, but you sure can send it on ahead. The truth is, you can't send it on ahead. When you get to heaven, you're not going to look at your personal bank account. And they're going to say, wow, you have, you know, $2.3 million. Sadly, there's been a deflation problem and it's worth nothing. You, there's no need for currency in the most literal, ridiculous sense. I just want you to understand we're not talking about sending your money to heaven. Now, likewise, I don't think that Jesus is talking about precious gems and metals. Read the book of Revelation. Heaven is already full of those things. And I, for one, didn't send any of those. Right? Some of the most famous examples. Streets of gold. Right? Streets paved with gold. How about the pearly gates? Full of pearls or one big pearl, depending on how you understand the language there. Whatever it is, heaven is full of precious metal. Heaven is full of precious gems. And it doesn't really seem to have the same value or importance in that kingdom as it does in this kingdom. I mean, they're literally paving the streets with it. And I didn't send any of it there. Did you? There's no way to do it. Store up treasures in heaven. It can't mean that. So what is the only treasure? The only commodity, really, that we can actually store up for ourselves in heaven. I would submit to you but the answer to the question is human beings. People are the only variable in the heavenly economy. There's going to be gold in heaven. There's going to be gems in heaven. There's going to be pearls in endless supply. All of these things will be in heaven in endless supply. But how many people are going to be there? That's the treasure of heaven. When Jesus says to store up treasure in heaven, I believe the most important thing he has in mind is that we should focus and dedicate our lives to his kingdom so that we can live with the guarantee of a heavenly future, one that cannot be stolen from us. And once that's taken care of, we should make it our life's goal to store up even more treasure in heaven. That is to help others make the decision that will ensure and guarantee their heavenly future. What is the treasure of heaven, you ask? Church, I would submit to you that you are the treasure of heaven. And when Jesus says, don't focus your life on storing up 401k monies or precious gems in a safety deposit box that you can use on a rainy day. Uh, he's not saying don't do those things. Some other day I'll preach a sermon and, and, and there will be plenty of biblical references in there into living wise, uh, financially uh, structured lives. And, and saving is, is a big part of that. I'm not suggesting that the only way to live a godly life is to retire penniless and, and live on the streets and you know, be a burden on your children. By the way, that's totally my plan. Um, <laughs> that is not 
the, the only way, that's, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. But I think he's saying, is the focus of your life trying to increase your bank account? Are you storing up treasures in places where those treasures are not likely to last? What's best case scenario of this? Let's say you got in early on Apple. I don't know, Garrett, when did Apple go public? Come on, I count on you for these things. Anybody know? It went public for probably less than a dollar a share. I mean, some ridiculous amount, right? In, in 1979, let's just say. What's Apple worth right now? Anybody know? 2.7 trillion. 2.7 trillion. <laughs> He knows that, yeah. Garrett owns like half of Apple. <laughs> right? Like, let's say you got on early on Apple, and you're going to live your retirement years without a financial care in the world. If that's you, two things to say. Hallelujah, God bless you, and have we talked about tithing? <laughs> that's the second thing I need to say. <laughs> but in both cases, oh, Ash, you got it for us? Yeah, 155.81. $155.81 per share. Is that what you're supposed to say? There we go. Man, did we get an economic lesson today or what? There it is. Yeah, I don't know what your retirement plan is in, in this world. Let's best case scenario this. Let's say it's great. Let's say it's wonderful. Let's say you live out the remainder of your days in the lap of luxury. Glory, hallelujah. I'm happy for you. Here's the thing. When the role is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, it's all back to zero, right? It's all back to zero. Even in the best case scenario, moth and vermin and thieves are going to have it all in the end and now. That's not what Jesus is talking about. How about, how about, instead of focusing a life on accumulating stuff, for our own security here, we, you know, are responsible. But our focus, our heart, our passion is what we're storing up in a heavenly kingdom. What we're storing up in a heavenly kingdom. And can I suggest to you that you can't store anything in heaven until you first store yourself. You know what I'm saying? You can't rent a storage compartment in heaven unless you're a citizen of that kingdom. You first store yourself. And then your focus becomes, how can I increase the population of heaven? Store up treasures, plural, in heaven. What's your focus? Now I'm just trying to I'm trying to grow the population of heaven. That's what I'm trying to do. And if I got to spend a few dollars from my earthly storehouse to do it, then God bless it, that's exactly what I'm going to do. If I got to set aside some of the other trappings of this world and some of the other securities of this world, then that's what I'm going to do because my focus, my focus, my focus is singular. I'm just trying to store up treasures in heaven. I'm just trying to send things ahead to heaven. I'm just trying to make it happen in heaven because that's my focus. That's the king that I serve. That's what I'm about. Jesus says, you do that, and that will never fade away. That will, do we understand the word never? Everybody say never, never. That will never, never fade away. Hannah, would you come to the keys?
We're going to close by praying together here. And I want to give you an opportunity to fill out some Social Security and Medicare forms. I want to give you an opportunity to register for heavenly benefits. So we're going to pray together today. And if you've never thought of it in this way, if you've never had that confidence that says, world, i got the best retirement plan you've ever seen. If you've never considered what the focus and the dedication of your life ought to be or should be, if you've never felt secure in that, maybe you've gone to church a thousand different times and God has felt far away and he's felt scary and he's felt confusing and all of these things and you're just doing your best to cross your fingers and hope that you got it right, I can tell you that that ends today. Tell you that that ends today. Today is the day when you open up a retirement account in a place that will never experience a depression or a slowdown or a bear market or anything else. You open up a retirement account in a place that is guaranteed like no other and you never have to worry about it again. We're going to pray that prayer today and it's going to work. Do you understand? It's going to work. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Praying that prayer is a prayer that says, Jesus, I'm going to make this my focus. I'm going to make this my focus. I'm not going to be like a housefly seeing little bits and pieces of everything. Well, it's a little bit this and well, it's a little bit that. No, I'm going to make it my singular focus because you and you alone are the master of my life. And I'm not going to be a slave to money anymore. I'm not going to be a slave to my boss anymore. I'm not going to be a slave to my anxieties anymore. I'm not going to be a slave to any other system or structure of this world because I have only, count them, one master. I only have one master. There's no room for any other. If you've never prayed like that before, you're about to. If you haven't prayed like that before, and maybe everything I've said to you today, your heart response has been a good old-fashioned, honest, amen. Amen. And finally making some sense of that. Amen. If that's you, well then you're going to be praying. You're going to be praying because here's your opportunity to store up a little bit of treasure in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Here's your opportunity to pray in the spirit of the spirit of God and move over the hearts of the people sitting to your left and your right such that you would be a part of, you would be a part of the process by which they too were stored up in heaven. What's going to happen here today? Would you pray with me? God, there is so much in this world that I don't get. There is so much in this world that feels uncertain to me. There is so much in this world that I know from just the depths of my being, I can't count on and I can't trust. And I look through my own life and I see those moments when I thought I had it all together and then things that I thought were sure came crumbling. What a joy it would be to place the focus of my life, my heart, 
what a joy it would be to place it in a kingdom that cannot crumble. On a truth that cannot be refuted. In a, I don't know, a, a spiritual storehouse that can't be broken into and robbed. On a foundation that is secure. What a joy that would be. Jesus, I recognize today that that's exactly what you came to tell me. You came to tell me there's this whole other kingdom that I've not been able to see with, with physical eyes, but it's real. And I know it's real because it's realness is what, part of what's caused that turmoil within me. You came to tell me that the very thing that I dared to hope for is real. And it could be mine. And Jesus, I just want you to know today that I have not entirely figured out your words. I don't always understand your words. But I am deciding to trust your words. I am deciding to trust And if you say this is it, then this is it. I don't need to worry, well, what if, what if I didn't really mean it? What if I didn't get the words of the prayer just right? What if I, I said this but meant this? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I don't need to do that anymore because I have singular focus. If you said this is it, then this is it. Then this is it. And so, Jesus, I'm going to do this as best as I can here. I want to focus on your kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world. I want to live my life in such a way that treasures are stored up, value is added to your kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world. I recognize that part of that is trusting me that, trusting you that you're gonna take care of me in this world. But that's not gonna be my primary concern. I'm gonna live according to your kingdom. And as part of that process, God, I've gotta got be able to break away from the masters that I've served in this life. to recognize that there's no authority over me apart from you, but that you do in fact have complete and full and total authority over me. It's just that nobody else shares that with you. Singular focus, singular dedication. That's what I wanna to have today. Throned 
heaven, surrounded by treasures unparalleled in this world, surrounded by sights that we cannot even begin to imagine. The author of every bit of wealth that has ever existed. And in that surrounding, you could look into the heart of even the most broken person in this room and say, that is the treasure of heaven. That is the treasure of heaven. treasures in heaven. Moth and vermin and thieves have no authority, but only the King of kings and the Lord of lords has authority. We ask it in Jesus' name. Folks, that's what storing up treasure in heaven looks like. And it ought to be, it ought to be the focus and the passion of our lives. It ought to be the thing that is most important to us around which everything else takes a secondary seat. If you pray today in a way that's different than you've ever prayed before, whatever that might mean, I want to ask you to do one other thing. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. You don't have to have the right words, but find somebody that you trust. Find somebody that you trust and just say, hey, something was different for me today. Can you help me figure out what it might be? Can you help me figure out what it might be? Maybe you took a step, maybe you enrolled in a retirement plan today that you've never been a part of before. Praise God. Maybe you sense that God was doing something through you store up treasure in heaven in a way that you've never experienced before. Praise God. Whatever that might be, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Because we work together to treasure these things. Don't we? But God bless us as we go from this place. Give us strength. Give us grace. Father, the healing that was given to us in the beginning of this service, Lord, I pray that you would treasure that and that you would guard it in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would cause your word to find good soil in our minds and in our hearts, that it would grow and that it would flourish, and that a singular experience today wouldn't be a singular experience, but, Lord, it would be one step in a long, long journey of obedience. We thank you for all of these things in the strong and sufficient name of Jesus and all God's kingdom said, amen. Have a great Sunday morning. We'll see you.